Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Transatlantic Rebels podcast. My name is Jessel, and this is... Roshar. And today we will be talking about Public Enemy and their 1991 album, Apocalypse 91, The Enemy Strikes Black. So, Rashad, what I was thinking with today's podcast is we haven't really covered their debut, okay? Um, which was Yo Brahmash the Show. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking that today, well, let me put it this way. Today I was gardening a little bit, right? And I was kind of thinking about the seasons and it kind of hit me that there are really four essential Public Enemy albums, the way I see it. And... Yo Bum Rush the Show was the kind of spring where things are starting to sprout. And then you've got the summer of um, It Takes a Nation. Autumn is uh, Fear of a Black Planet when things start to get darker at night. And then finally, Apocalypse 91, uh, which is winter. And mm. to be perfectly honest, beyond that, I think those are the four most essential Public Enemy albums. Um, Obviously, you're the expert on them. Um, would you say that that's a fair assessment? And after that, it gets a bit patchier and maybe a bit less essential? For the most part, yeah. I would say that. I mean, I think they... Because the argument I would make is this. There, there's an argument to be made that it's patchy later on, but I think every base was covered within the first four albums. So it's going, it's almost like regardless of the, the quality of later albums, it's like they covered basically all the bases they need to say. Because most of the other later albums, they're either like slightly repeating what they said before or it's kind of like they just at, at one point they were just basically like they weren't trying to be trendsetters anymore he just basically, they just basically went out there and did what he needed to do I think because this one is like like the because Apocalypse 91 is basically like the last one that includes like the bomb squad and capacity and even in Apocalypse 91 even like they're kind of separate this is where they like really started to break off and separate it um, so the other ones I would say as far as like important albums I would say the, the first four are important and then I would say a song here or two or there later on down the road are like worthy of mention. But I would agree that for the most part, the first four albums are like the ones that if you wanted to get like a great idea of Public Enemy would be the first four. But if you but if but 100 percent necessary, I would say at least the second, the third and the fourth. Well, actually, this weekend I was listening to predominantly Apocalypse 91. And then I started to think, hang on, do you know, what? I've never actually listened to Yo Bomb Rush. Mm-hmm. So I started listening to it as well. And. I have to say it's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And what really gets me is if you look at the timeline of Public Enemy. So they released Yo Bum Rush to Show in early 1987, right? And they released Apocalypse 91 actually on our birthday in 1991. And that's four really top albums yeah. within the space of less than five years, right? So... I know it's exactly what you're saying. You know, I think that creativity was really kind of covered and ran like a train. Yes. And eventually pulled into its kind of real end destination, I guess. And then the bomb squad got off. And, you know, whilst they might have carried on, I think that those were their most effective years, the most exciting. And, um, you know, if you're saying that they, they pretty much covered most of the bases, um, then after that, 
I mean, their their album sales kind of reflect that as well. I know this is nothing really to do with album sales. But, yeah, um, I wouldn't go by that either. Because there's some there's some yeah. albums later on that I like for different reasons. Like I would give like Bleed Pluses to, um, okay. like music and our message. Like which which ones would you? Um, I would say the music and our message is misunderstood. I would say that one. It's not like the ones I'm saying afterwards are not as strong as the first four. But I would say that one. The he got game one has some couple of gems in it. Um. And then, like, the, the later ones, kind of, like, here and there, has got, like, a song or two here. But I'm talking about as far as, like, pure creativity and at them at the height of their powers, I would say the first four. I think that's basically where it's at. Like, I can make arguments for, like, the other ones, like, a couple of songs here and there. But if somebody would tell them if... But for me, personally, as a Public Enemy fan, I would say if you heard nothing else from them, at least the first four, I would say. And the funny thing is, I was looking at... I know we've just decided it's irrelevant but i was looking at album sales and chart positions and stuff and um okay the first album didn't chart in the uk but the next four right from it takes nation to music sick an hour um message 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 sorry um <laughs> it takes a nation reached number eight in the charts uk fear of a black planet number four apocalypse 91 number eight muse number 12 so all of those did hit you know they really did yeah. hit in the uk um after that it, it drops off and um it's pretty much non-existent but we, we are talking about relevance like real yeah. relevance here. but at the same time at that point i would also say that part of it had to do with um that they had a phone out with def jam because at the point where music came out it was like there's contention with them and def jam and then i guess like because spike lee was doing he got game i guess that was the the, the last thing and they went on the independent route and it never picked back up in a way after that. Like they, because like I think the album after he got game was the last Def Jam album, and then um, there's a poison going on was the first one that they did like on their own, kind of. So they didn't kind of have the label support, and even the music on that one, like there are some gems on that one. But how can I say this about it? Like I enjoyed the stuff, but I it, it wasn't they they weren't relevant musically. Like the the message was still there. But the music that they were making at that point, it wasn't going to be played on MTV, regardless of what other people thought about it. Like they weren't doing, like they weren't staying with the trends, to put it that way, at that mm. point later on. So I think that's a lot of that hurt them too. And then I would say near the end, and like I said, I got every album, but I, but I will say like by the time they got to maybe the two thousand, not two thousand, maybe like like the twenty tens, it was mm. like. You could tell that even though Chuck Message was still there, like his his, I would say, okay. This is kind of like a segue into the album itself, Apocalypse Ninety One. I think that Chuck's rapping, like I think, hit the peak with this one and maybe music, and then after that, it kind of like drifted off. And it wasn't like it wasn't like it was bad, but it wasn't as inspired as it was with the first four, and to a lesser extent, like music. I would say. At that point, because like, you could tell, because you listen to the later albums, you can kind of hear he doesn't have the dexterity that he had earlier on. Like he still, he still, he still raps well, and he still kind of has like the message. Like he never, like the one thing I can say about him is like he never got off point. Like you know, he never had that that Nas Escobar era. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> he, he never went. He stayed consistent. Like he's probably the most consistent rap persona I've seen. Because you don't, because nobody knows who Carlton Ridenour is, which is his actual name. And, you, and like I always take that into account when I was in the rappers or any kind of artist. There's like that public persona, and then there's that private persona. We have no clue how he is in real life, but as far as his rap persona, 
it stayed consistent from beginning up until now. Like even matter of fact, I'm about to go see uh, Prophets of Rage on uh, on Saturday, and that's gonna be the first time I've seen him in concert. But basically, for people who don't know who Prophets of Rage are, it's uh, the bassist, the guitarist, and a drummer for Rage Against the Machine with B Real from uh, Cypress Hill and Chuck D. Uh, so that's gonna be the first time I see him live. But I will say that that he stayed consistent. But if you're talking about like importance, like the important albums, I was I would say Yo. Nations, fear, and I would say uh, apocalypse with the asterisk with music. That's what I would say. As far okay. as yeah. So maybe if we get into this album, then at the end um, we can talk about Yo Bum Rush the show a bit because I was really my my ears pricked up listening to it because I was like, damn! I, there were so many references. It's the first time I've ever listened to it, and there were so many songs on it from the, <laughs> which other rappers have either sampled or covered or referenced, and I was like. Damn, this makes a lot. I'll of let sense. you. I'll let you lead that one because I'm pretty sure you have more to say than I do about it. Yeah, but, probably. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, if we get into Apocalypse '91, the enemy strikes black. Um, what's with the album title? Okay, Apocalypse '91, enemy strikes black. Well, basically, he said um, a lot of the ideal of it. Well, let's let's step back a tiny bit. Like he wasn't really. They weren't really going to make another album after. Um, like, he's going to take a break after um, Fear of a Black Planet because he was all burnt out, this and that, blah, blah, But they went on tour, and um, he um, had a couple of lyrics and stuff like that, and the Bomb Squad was kind of... So this guy... So the, so the Bomb Squad was basically Hank Shockley, Keith Shockley, Eric Vietnam Sadler, and Chuck D. They were the Bomb Squad, basically. And um, at that time, the Bomb Squad was kind of like like breaking up December 8th, and even with the, uh, after they did um, America's Most Wanted, which is uh, Ice, Ice Cube's album. And um, so a lot of the lyrics had to do with the black community itself, whereas fear was about like the perception of blacks to the world. He kind of wanted to go take it back to like, I mean, of course, there's going to be like certain songs that are going to step outside of it. But for the most part, it's talking about the apocalypse in the black community, which is which is one of the enemies that we have. It's kind of like the things that we do to each other that hurt each other. So the, the apocalypse is within us. So if you talk about the world, the perception that he's taking it back to the black community in a sense and the things that affect the black community and how, because even when you go, even when you get into this, into this, the, um, the, the song choices, we'll get into that a little bit later, but basically Apocalypse 91 is basically like the year 1991 and the enemy that we're going to focus on right now is the ones that looks like us. So basically that's where the title comes from. Right. And also the Star Wars reference. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and don't forget um, Apocalypse Now. <laughs> oh Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah all right so know, um, for, for me i have to say it's a bit of a i don't know I, i'm not really sure about the um album title i don't mm-hmm. know it's a bit too self it's a bit bit too hollywood referencing but um but i don't know i'm not quite sure but the first song mm-hmm. the beat on that lost at birth wow oh so let me give you so give you insight so um so at the end of um, uh, Fear of a Black Planet, there's a sample that goes, um, what's, what lies for the future of public enemy? And then right when it starts, he says, basically, let me go back again. He basically says that it opens back up into, um, what's it say? Um, the future holds nothing but confrontation. So it's, it's basically a pickup right from uh, the end of Fear of a Black Planet, where it's like, what does, what's the future hold for public enemy? And then the start album starts out with the future holds nothing but confrontation. So you can start from there. So you say about the beat? Oh yeah, the beat's amazing. I've had I've actually had the beat in my head all day. <laughs> like I mean there's there's not 
there's hardly any rapping on it. It's like, like probably like I oh know. I mean, I guess there's like twenty odd bars or something, but it comes in after about two minutes. It's because of so, roll call. Yeah, so, oh, it's amazing. It really kind of and I was just singing it at home, and then my son thinks I was being a helicopter, so he starts singing <laughs> it as well. My son referenced again, and uh, so he loves it. Um, but yeah, it really is a great way to to start the album and musically i think it carries on from fear of a black planet nicely which i don't think the whole album does um but this certainly does yeah yeah and it's just kind of you know it's a good intro i don't think there's too much else to say about it not really it's just basically introducing them again pretty much yeah exactly i mean love, i mean the, the concept of lost, a lost at birth basically goes back to kind of the thing like the, the black america detachment from their homeland so you're lost at birth, pretty much. And then it leads right into rebirth, where it's like you lost the, the consciousness kind of of that thing there. And there's a rebirth of the black consciousness that comes up in the next thing, which is like part, it's like kind of like a part two of the um, the roll call again. So it's kind of like setting up the uh, the thing where he's talking about his pops with the man in the house. Um, yeah. Talking about the KKK wearing three-piece suits. Because like I said, this is the most... Like compared to Fear of a Black Planet, which was dancing all over the place, this album I think is is more direct than the other two albums. Pretty much, it's very direct, very yeah. direct. Yeah, Sonic, sonically and lyrically, I would say it's more direct. It's like basically getting to that point right there. So, what do you think about Rebirth? Um, I mean, it's it was quite short and sharp, and then if you're not really paying attention to the track listings, it's a bit confusing, so you don't yeah. know quite what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's flavor on it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's um, no. It's not, well, he's a little bit like yeah. He he starts announcing it and then Trek does the, like the bars. He kind of does that thing where it's like, um, he kind of introduces the track a little bit, and then Trek goes, "When I get down, I get what go around, and I cough into my." Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Again, it's pretty short. There's only about sixteen bars in it or so. Yeah. And um, but I love that line. The KKK wears three piece suits. Yeah. Brilliant line, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that leads nicely into Night Train. The actual first song, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is funny, actually, yeah. I guess like you've got the first proper song, which is track three. Um, but I think it, it gets you in the mood nicely. I mean, certainly the first half of this album's dope. Uh, Night Train is um, is really kind of over the top, very in your face. Like you were saying before, it doesn't beat around the bush. This album's not particularly subtle. There are, there are, little, there are little subtleties here and there, but... Oh, yeah, within the bars, as, yeah, within the bars. I yeah. mean... If you com- if you compare it to Fear of a Black Planet, which you need to listen to, like I, I think I said it in the last part, I needed to listen to it three times before I figured what the hell was going on. This is not that kind of album. And you said it at the end of the, of the last podcast. You were like, Jessel, this isn't too complex an album to figure out. You know, you 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 kind of you get it pretty instantly. And oh, yeah, yeah. That, that was pretty much the case. Um, which I think by this stage, you know, um, if this is album number four for them, yeah, and the bomb squad are kind of starting to go their separate ways and stuff, then it, it makes sense. And there's a sense of urgency to this album, which it feels like it might just be their last one. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, not to bring everything back to MIA, but that's kind of how I feel a little bit about AIM, her album coming up. Uh, oh, I have no doubt. I agree with that. At, at the point we're recording this podcast, her album, her album hasn't dropped yet. So, um, so we don't know what's going to happen. I'm getting more nervous about it by the day if i'm honest I, I just don't want it to be like one of those albums that we wish never released um so are you scared like in terms yeah in terms of like about her legacy now i know legacy's you know meaningless for 
everyone except like a music geek like me but i just i just want her to kind of you know she's had four really good albums Mm -hmm. and uh, i hope she's i hope there's a reason for this album put it that way um and i think i think there is if you talk about this album i don't know if there's like i don't know if it completely justifies its place compared to the other three previous ones but it's certainly it's certainly good enough definitely it's certainly good enough to be in the in the in the canon basically yeah. i would say the the main reason for this album if if not for anything then it has like three of the best public enemy songs that ever written on there on here okay like there's, there's three there's three major classics on this one if anything like i said i know i i kind of know where you're going i got my spidey senses already on i know what i know where you're going i know what you're going to go to i know and i'm pretty sure which, which songs you want to hit but there's th- I think there's three albums that if this if, if anything that this album was worth for it was those three songs that were on there okay, those three okay. songs are like basically like we'll get to them all right so well, I mean the the other thing I was gonna say is musically I actually think this album has a lot of greatness on it absolute mm-hmm. greatness some of the beats on this are just crazy and again it kind of pinpoints because this was in '91 and it's before big hit um, and uh Tupac was kind of actually I think Tupac kind of started out in earnest around this kind of time and stuff Nas was just doing live at the barbecue at this point Christ he was 17 you know so um you know if you take it to Ice Cube Ice Cube had released his album and stuff but if you're talking about the east coast rappers uh it it was only really starting to that next generation that next golden age of yeah. stuff I can tell how much this was an influence. Actually, this this album, especially on the producers, I think that's what's really cool about this album. Musically, there's a lot of dopeness on it. Um, what, what do you think of the next track? Can't trust it. Well, that's the that's that's number one right there. Okay. Because when because when this song came out, where I lived, I don't know how it was in um, in uh, in Europe or anything like that. But when this song came out with the video, and he was telling the story of the middle passage from the first person point of view. And then he, it's crazy because cause even the video kind of parallels like like the, the plantation like attitude that's still kind of going on right now with black workers and how they're getting paid and this and that. And I kind of like that differentiality between all this. the one line that kind of like that was a, that was one of the keys of the album for me was um where he goes when he says I judge what everyone one by the one, and then uh, then he goes look look out here like, here comes the judge right here he comes. Then he goes, years ago, he would have been a ship's captain, which he kind of compares, like, the captain of the ship, of a, of a slave ship, called the Middle Passage, yeah. Yeah, yeah, to, like, a judge. And here, like, when you go back to the, the prison industrial complex, where it's kind of like, they're, like, trying to get, they, they get these people on these low charges and get these, these people of color into the prison system, that basically you're getting that, you're, you're, it's basically another a form of slavery, because you're busting these people on these charges, you put them in this prison cycle, and all you're doing is basically getting them to do the work for these corporations to save them money, pretty much. So a lot of it is parallel in like the like the like the like the travel across the, the middle passage with the drums and the music in the background. He says this, the beat is very tribal, and it's kind of like that thing where it's like it's still going on right now. What do you say? He gets four twenty-seven D a year. Do you understand? That's why it's hard for the black to love the land. So it's kind of like giving you a basic ideal, especially like the third verse, where he's talking about when they're on a slave ship. And they're shitting on themselves, and he's rolling over, and somebody else is rolling over there, and they're all compiled. And he's like, they're, they're two to three hundred of them dying on the way, even going across the sea to go there. Mm-hmm. It's like, so hundreds of them aren't even making it across that trip to even get there. And uh, he's talking about um, blood. This is why I think where Chuck D's one of his best, greatest verses. And he's talking about how he's, uh, 
with the chains and he's spitting, he's feeling it, and it's hot in the day, it's cold in the night. He's praying to kill the guy with the whip. Um, during the microphone saying 50-55, classing us in the have-nots, fighting the haves. So it's like that. It's like so many things. And if you couple it with that video and a whole black and white thing, I just think it's just insane. But when it came out over here, this was like a huge hit when it came out right there. This yeah. is one of the ones where it was like, holy shit. And, and like, here comes the drums. Because who got the drums? You hear that so many songs. And there's a, there's a couple of bars in here where I can't remember. Uh, for the face of Mother Man. I was, it's a little aside about this album. I was talking, I, I was tweeting out there, and Just Blaze was tweeting about uh, Public Enemy. And then he was talking about this album. So I tweeted him, and, and maybe, you'll agree with, maybe you'll agree with Just Blaze, because I, I think you might be on the same page with him. And I was talking about the bars that Chuck had on this album. And he, he was like, that may be true. He said, he said, but he felt like this was like on the production side. He was like, it's very scattershot as far as he was concerned. And I don't know if you would see it that round in there. Like, I was going for the lyrics. He's like, the lyrics could be great. He's like, the lyrics are great in this album. He was like, but the production can be questionable in some places right here. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I completely mm-hmm. agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, think, I think there are beats on here that are like 10 out of 10s. And clear, clear one like like this one actually. I'd say can't trust it. Probably, um, I can't. I can't remember who sampled this. Someone sampled it. It feels like again. It feels like another like a Puff Daddy era yeah. one that got sampled. Yeah. And then there's there's another couple that are clear sampled ones and stuff. But um, yeah. And then but then there are some points when you're kind of like, okay, this is okay. There are some good beats. Then there are some beats later on that I think it starts to maybe, I don't know, there are no kind of, I wouldn't say there are any whack beats on here. But no, no, no. Don't, don't, don't quite live up to the other ones. But just because sure. it is. It, it, it feel like they ran out. Sure. It feel like they were, yeah. they, they, they were they, it's like the last two took the whole few, like they put all their creative energy into those, the other two. Or maybe the other three, and you you probably say the other three when you go to the Yobuster show. It seemed like they put yeah. so much energy into those albums that by the time they got to this one, there were still some great stuff. But it felt like they were kind of like drifting out, basically. You think, and and also I think the thing that you said before about um, Chuck wanted each song to sound really distinctive from the other ones, right? Mm. I think that's a weakness on this album. Yes. It's almost it's too kind of no, none of the songs sound the same on this album. It's not cohesive. It's not as cohesive as yeah, the three. That's exactly it. It's not cohesive. Okay. So I, I think if it had. A little bit of a more unified feel, not not as fear, as much as Fear of a Black Planet, but mm. a bit more. I think that would have helped the album. Um, I, I don't know, but I mean, there are certainly some absolutely wonderful. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And, and also, like, the, I mean, God, if you compare, I'll come back to this later. But if you compare Yo Bum Rush to Show, <laughs> and if you think that was like four and a half years earlier, compare that. Right? That's crazy. Compare that production, compare the vocal delivery, compare mm. the everything from that to mm. here. And it's one of the, the most ridiculous, inconceivable leaps in human <laughs> evolution, effectively. It's like, it's like in 2001 Space Odyssey, you know, when you know, the monkeys chuck the thing and then suddenly it just like, oh, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. That's what it feels like. With There's the not many rap artists that have like, three, like four different albums that sound different. But you can tell it's the same. It's like it's like it's Chuck D. But not even that. Cool. Just within such a short space of time, that's what I'm trying to wrap my head around. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't, I, it's like you know there must be a Delorean. So so you so you, so you, so you got the suspicion that they burnt out by the time this one, the creative part. Like, even though they still have some great stuff, it felt like they were at the end of it because they did so much shit. Basically, you feel like that could have been the case. I mean, 
I kind of look at Chuck D as a KRS one type of rapper, right? I think I said that before. Now, both legends, both amazing for their time period, but they're not the kind of transferable skills that oh, even if they had the transferable skills, they wouldn't transfer them to a different part of hip hop. They wouldn't necessarily progress. Like KRS one did one song after his kind of peak, which was step into the world. Outside of that, I mean, he's, he never really did anything that was, he never moved with the times, put it that way. Whereas you look at, you look at an artist like Madonna, if you look at rap, rappers like Jay-Z and Nas and stuff, they move with the times. They, it's not that they kind of hop on fashions and stuff. They, they occasionally do that, but. They, Jay, Jay-Z doesn't hop on fashions? Jay-Z. Jay-Z don't hop on fashions? <laughs> No, no, he does. I'm no, no, I, I thought you, I thought you oh. said he, he really doesn't. No, 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 like, they oh do. They do. Even Nas and Jay-Z both do. But yeah. the thing is, they move with the times, <laughs> right? And they keep it relevant. Sometimes it sounds embarrassing. Sometimes it sounds like you've, you know, like a blueprint. 50-year-old uncle. Cough, over, cough like blueprint three, year. cough. Cough, blueprint yeah. three. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one day we'll do that one. <laughs> and I'll really let loose. I'll really let loose. Um, but, I mean, yeah, getting taking it back to this... Um, okay. Oh, what have we got next? What have we got next? All right, so we got I Don't Want to Be Called Your Nigga by Flavor Flav. What's your take on this one? All right, so here we go. So, all right, so let, let me let me give you my let me give you my opinion on this album. Like, I enjoy this album. I enjoy this, the songs, but I but there's like three songs I think they're essential, and there there's there's some that like they're good because of the message, and I can take it or leave it. Like I like the, the like Chuck, like like Flavor Flav's delivery and the point of the song is excellent i agree with that 100 percent like the balance between actually saying that word um but i think that the that the that that the guitar look that they use even though it's fun it's just not like it's not up to the bob scott standards i would say that much like it's a fun song but i but i would say that it's not up to the, the public enemy standard right here yeah, I, like, I completely agree with all of that especially the guitar actually yeah yeah it feels a little bit corny at times. I don't know. That's what production-wise, anyway. So. Yeah, compared to the other Flavor Flav songs that they had in the other two albums, like I was saying, exactly this I, I was saying this album, this prop, this album probably has the weakest Flavor Flav tracks. Yeah, I would say that by far. I think Flavor Flav might have reached now, not not to say how little usefulness because on the stage he's not he's always going to be useful. But I think as far as like his tracks, I think they it's almost like not to say they went to the well too many times, but I think maybe even like I got the suspicion that. Flavor Flav was kind of melt because this is the point. This is where, this is where in public enemy history, Flavor Flav started getting in trouble all the time. Like he was always in the news, and like Chuck was trying to rein him in and this and that. I think at this right. point it was like where, where Flavor Flav was kind of like just going off on that whole entire like, I'm going to do this, smack around my girl, blah, blah blah, this and that, and the drugs and this and that. So I think whenever Flavor Flav got into the studio, this is my just my theory, is that they just like okay, let's just do this and like, get to party, let's get, let's keep it going on, let's keep it moving. Hmm. That's what it feels like to me on this one. Because compared to nine one one, to play the cold lamp in, compared to can't uh, can't do nothing for you, man. Like this is not even on that level. No. So that's how I feel. Yeah, I, I've got nothing to add to that. To be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, we have the hilariously titled "How to Kill a Radio Consultant." Okay, got you. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the song, like, like, like. The, okay, goes back to again. It's it's kind of like it's a step above. I don't want to be called a nigga. The lyrics, like, once again, the strength of this album is Chuck D's subject matter and his conviction. Like, I think that's probably the, 
the strongest aspect of this album besides like the two or three, like the three songs that are like essential to like, I think like 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 the beat right here is like it's a good beat, but once again it's not Bomb Squad level beat. It's kind of like because it, it's because it's I think the song clearly goes off of the subject matter, and it goes off of Chuck T's delivery. But I think if you just left the instrumental alone, it's nothing special. I would say it that mm. much. Mm. So I don't know if you would think you see it that way. No, I completely agree again. Mm-hmm. And and this is the problem if you've got a two track sequence already. Yeah, you know the first two songs are not really full songs. Mm-hmm. You've got number three, which is Night Train. Number four, Can't Trust It. So yes. that's a really strong opening. But yes. then after that, you've already got two, which kind of they're okay. They're not terrible. Yeah, that's the problem. It's not yeah. terrible because yeah. you're so used to them doing better. Exactly. That's what makes it more difficult because like you know they could do better. You're like, okay, this is average for like somebody. This is like an average. Like it was like anybody else. Like, okay, so that's an okay track. But you just came off of these last two or three albums, and you're like, wow, like it's not terrible. That's a, that's a problem. That's a problem of being a, gr- a great being great artist is when your average songs, which aren't terrible, they stand out so much more. Yeah, and that and that's a, that's one of the major problems with the album. It's a strong album, but for a Public Enemy album after the first three groundbreaking albums, it's kind of like okay, you can just kind of tell like the ideals either either they because the thing I have to go back to is Chuck D said they went right back to the studio and did this album. I think if it, maybe if he took a break, maybe they took a break and got ideals on, but then you, but then it's a catch twenty two because if they didn't go in the studio and do these songs, I, you wouldn't have got those three classics songs. So it's like it's like a gift and a curse with this album, right? Here. Yeah, it's almost like it's an. I sometimes use this phrase in my reviews when I say it's an extended EP. Mm-hmm. So that's not me being deliberately stupid. What I mean is it's like an, an EP, which is just. It's kind of like you've got three or four great songs and then it's just dragged out a bit too long. And all they needed to do was like, almost like Nas did with Illmatic, you know, just nine songs and an intro. That's all you really need, right? Cap it at that. And I think it it kind of, this feels a bit too diluted maybe. Um, and these last two tracks kind of do that. Um, by the time I get to Arizona, which is up next, is an interesting one, I have to say. Um is this one of your three golden tracks? This one is one where it first came out. Like this one was huge when it came out here because there was a point. There was a point because there's there's a history behind the song. There was a point where they were trying to get Martin Luther King's birthday to pop up, and um, and Arizona and I forgot what the other state was. They weren't having it. They were like, Nah, we're good. Nah, we're not going to have it. Blah blah this and that. And um, and everybody else in the country like there was a point where even the Super Bowl said they were going to have they weren't going to have a Super Bowl. In Arizona, and Arizona still said, "Fuck it, we're not going to do, we're not going to do the Arizona thing." So when this song came out, like this, like okay, cause, cause the, the, part, the, the part, the part of the song is, it's almost like, like I don't know how you're going to take it because, because, because you guys in the UK, but you almost had to be here for it to appreciate this song because when this song came out, like, like it was crazy. Like he was on Nightline, it was all over the place, and even the video, like the, this, like one of the videos got banned big time because on the video. You have it where he comes on and he starts doing his thing, and um, he has it where Ice T's in the video, and like he's like I'm going. And the storyline of the song is pretty simple. He's like he's like if you if you guys don't honor the legacy of Martin Luther King, then when I come there, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to blow up your I'm going to blow up the fucking politicians. So during the whole entire song in a video, like you see these cuts of like Martin Luther King, like he marching and this and that. You see Public Enemy going into Arizona, blah blah this and that, and you see him like getting ready to assassinate a, um, a, a politician. So the, the the trick that Chuck D pulls with this song and with the video overall is kind of like him saying that 
he was like, he's like, show some respect. And he was, and, and like, he was, he did the Robodog, but with the media with this one, because the media was like, well, you have a politician get murdered, blah, 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 this and that. And he was basically like, like the only person that got hurt in this whole entire thing is Martin Luther King. And he was like, and he was like, kind of like going through the storyline, like, how do you think Martin Luther King would feel? Because he's like, there's always this thing in America with Martin Luther King, where they go back to the thing where he was nonviolent. And Chuck D always asks this question. He's like, so what happened if Martin Luther King survived that bullet? Do you think he would still be nonviolent at this point? And that's kind of that's kind of like a, another part of the point of the song. It's kind of like that dark thing. Cause he's like he said it's kind of like almost like a sequel to um to uh Black Steel and Ira Chaos. Like those guys are actually going. The guys who like banded together right there are going to Arizona to kind of fuck the, these politicians up if they don't get that shit straight kind of thing like that. So it's 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 kind of like that that southern. It's kind of like that 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 thick southern like bassy feel. And you got like that like kind of like that that black woman chorus. Kind of hooking up. It's almost like a blues song, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's got that Delta kind of thing right there, like that down home, down south. It's going kind of, it's kind of taking it back to that Mississippi, that kind of like Selma kind of feel. It's kind of like mm-hmm. how they felt with their marching, and you got the women vocals. Like anybody who's black who's been in the church or know that it's that, that classic, that classic black woman like vocal in there. It's like that thick thing, and it kind of goes to that when it does a little breakdown. Guy talking MLK, going to find a way. His team against team, just catch the mic beam. You know what I'm saying? And then he comes back back into his other lyrics, kind of thing like that. So it's it's kind of like that. So for here, I don't know how it was in, in other parts of the world, but this this one was like a huge one when it came out. So that's like number two. Like Can't Trust It came out, and then this one came out. So it was like this was like classic number two right here. Okay, for us. Yeah, least. I can I can definitely see that. It's it's an incredibly fully formed thing. It's very cinematic as well it's very descriptive it's kind of on the nose i'd say if you're talking about it strictly from a technical point of view it doesn't leave much to the imagination but then it's got a job to do so it has it has to be kind of you know remember right I, in your face go back to his own line i don't rhyme for the sake of riddlin <laughs> yeah. so hang on when did martin luther king's birthday become a holiday in america i forgot it wasn't too long after that i think it was maybe like okay. a year after that Cause, cause, cause we, cause everybody wore Arizona down at that point. Cause it was dim and somewhere else. Where was it? Was it Vermont? I'm trying to think. But I know Arizona was a big one. Cause one of them caved in, and Arizona was like, "Fuck, we're not." And then here's the point: McCain was around there. It was when McCain was senator of Arizona, so it was like that issue too, right there. And it was like everybody's like, "Why the fuck?" It's like out of all the people, like there's always this thing in America, even right now with the um, it goes back to Harry Tubman being on the on the um. On the on the on the ham like on on a the, I forgot is it a hundred dollar bill? I think it's a five dollar bill or something, isn't it? No, it's who, which one is Hamilton on? I forgot. Oh, I don't know. Well, it's whatever. Well, they wanted well, no, James Madison. I think it's fifty dollar bill that that everybody's gonna put. Um, they wanted um Harriet Tubman on a fifty dollar bill, and people are like, no, we can't have that. Blah blah blah. This and that. Yada yada yada. And I'm like, and I sit there and I, and you gotta look at these people, and it goes back to Confederate flag. It's like every time. So, so here's a go. So you're okay with slave owners being on the dollar bill, but somebody who fought to free slaves, that's not a worthy of being on the dollar bill. Like it, they don't like that. That white supremacy mentality is like crazy. It's like anytime you want to have any, any type of black recognition, there's always some push against it. Even till now, I'm like, it's crazy. So that's what I think that's why this song as relevant because it's a reminder. It wasn't even too long ago where people were like, fuck Martin Luther King Day. And it's funny because now, because even because of that, like even now, like people always go back to him for the well. Like, oh, yo, Martin Luther King do this to that. I was like, but you didn't want to even have him on the, on the, have a holiday for him. So what are you talking about? It's that weird thing that America has with, 
with 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 blacks in the situation. So I don't know. But so get back. What are your thoughts on it? So going back, what are you saying? Yeah, I think I pretty much covered it. I think it's great. It's got that bluesy feel to it. It's very descriptive. Um, it it is what you hear. Um, you very quickly understand that this is a real situation. Uh, I haven't seen the video before, and obviously, like you were saying before about how big an impact it was at the time, I would have had no idea. I mean, we, I, I I didn't listen to Public Enemy in 1991, so I just I have no idea. Um, but I can certainly imagine it would have been a big thing. I mean, the only other song that was huge about Martin Luther King that I know of was Stevie Wonder. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, and, and most people, it took them 30 years to realize it was about Martin Luther King because they're just <laughs> singing it about their own selves when it's their birthday, which is what <laughs> I did in fairness. But, <laughs> but yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's what, again, one of the, the highlights of the album for sure. Um, then we go on to move. All right. So this is like, this is like another one, like, um, like how to kill a rig assaulted where once again, Chuck D's lyrics are the ones that are front and center. And then the beat is kind of like, okay, it's okay. It's there. There's nothing special. So it's, it's like, it's like, a, it's like a yet another, um, how to kill a rig assaulted. My, one of my favorite Chuck D lyrics of all time on here is 60% three fifths constituted, huh? Prostituted. Why am I mad? Cause it's written on the paper right now. Motherfuckers bow. Like that's right there. Like, going right back to the Constitution. It's like, it's on there, on that piece of paper that you guys worship so much. And it's kind of like that thing. So, the, 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 the main thing about the song is basically, like, like black people need to get their, like, be, become their own police. Kind of like a, I don't know if you ever seen this movie called Drop Squad. You ever heard of Drop Squad? No. Okay, so Drop Squad is this movie where it's like, it's like, there's like, there's like drugs and stuff going to the community. Pam Greer's in it. I think um, Isaac Hayes is in it. A bunch of other people in there. So, um, Drop Squad is basically like, it's like these old, like these like these like these old school people and like okay we're tired of this shit so instead of relying on the police to do it like they're actually going through the neighborhood and straightening shit out like they see drug deals in the corner like they're going on and dealing with it they're getting like this organization going on out there like kind of like neighborhood watching away kind of like getting people involved in it kind of thing like that because chuck d's one of his uh his, his philosophy is kind of like if black people had control of three e's if they had control of their law the enforcement their economics and education would be, be off in a better spot than being state kind of thing, because state kind of like doesn't really focus on it as much. It's kind of like that kind of thing where it's like the community take care of itself before it can go into the other world right there. So this is what the kind of song is about, um, that move thing. Like I said, the the lyrics are great. It's strong. Um, but at the end of the day, it's another one of them songs where it's like, I felt like they were in a studio. He added some ideals. And then... I don't, see, it's disrespectful to say that they slapped it together. I don't think they slapped it together. I think they just got. I think it's one of them albums where they had a couple, like 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 three inspirations, and then other ones were like kind of like let's get in and get out. Chuck D was inspired lyrically, and then they like kind of like did like a get in and get out kind of thing. I don't see them. I don't see this album like like the way they did the first three, especially the, especially Nations of Fear, where you could tell Nations of Fear it was like a lot of time and energy put into those albums. This one seems like. I think Chuck's lyrics were inspired, but I think they were so burnt out by fear of a black planet that they just got in there and said, okay, it's good enough. Let's roll. Now let's get an album out. Let's go back out on tour. Kind of deal like that. That's what this feels like. Yeah. I think um, this, this beat in particular is very fussy and it's the kind of perfect example of when you've got so many tracks on, uh, on the production and you need to remove some of them to let other parts shine. 
and this that didn't happen on this whereas it happens on on the previous albums they know when to take out although you've got this wall of noise which is fine it's still you still need to remove certain parts at the right times whereas a song like this is the perfect example of when you just you just leave everything in right and and you just forget to take stuff out and i think it's a shame because as you were saying actually <laughs> chuck really does a pretty damn good job on this album yes it, it, i mean just from a technical rapper's point of view if you're talking about his flow and mm-hmm. his lyrics and the way that he uh switches styles and stuff it's it's actually really good yes i mean i almost prefer it to any of the other albums mm-hmm. almost i think um, I, you think I, do you think like me like it's probably his like even though the lyrics are great in the other one do you, i think like as an mc as a rapper it's probably like he was never better on this one maybe yeah, I think so. And especially if you're considering this is 1991. So again, like I was saying before, it was before the kind of the next wave of legends hit. Yeah. Then I think, I think Chuck was in a pocket. Really was in gets, a pocket. He, he doesn't really get mentioned that much in the kind of greatest MC debates and stuff. You know, like you know, he gets about he, top he, 10 and stuff. I, I don't know. I would say this with him. He's in, if you, if you talk about like artist top ten, he's probably in a lot of those. I think because the problem with rap and, a, and the problem with hip hop, especially in in my country, is that there's no curation of like the historical aspects of it. It's like it's always like focused on who's hot, who's hot right now, who's hot right now, who's hot right now. It's like a lot of these guys, like the like like the kids, like like when I go to school and I talk to these kids and I deal with them, like a lot of them have no clue about any of these guys at all because everything is about either like like they know Jay Z, they know Eminem. They know Nas. They know like a couple of few of those guys, like in the nineties, maybe. But for the most mm-hmm. part, like unlike rock and roll, and I, and, I, and I don't know if this is. A, I'm trying. I've been trying to pinpoint this for a while because the way that the industry treats rap, they treat it like it's disposable, and they still don't respect it. I think even now, even though it makes money, like I think they don't have unless they do like their occasional like hip hop honors and that. It's like okay, let me throw in my outdoor. I like the thing like that. But there's no curation of like what's important, and what's not important. Every artist, like like um like um, what's his name from the Beastie Boys? He passed away. MCA, like to MCA, that's his favorite rapper. Prince, Chuck D's his favorite rapper. Like, there's so many people that that are that that, that are musical greats that consider Chuck D one of their favorite rappers because they get his body of work. But I think with the kids right now, because what happened was when this is going to seem simplistic, but maybe you agree with me or not. It seemed like when Dr. Dre and the Chronic came out, it was like. Like conscious hip hop kind of took like a backseat, and the ones that were really hot were either like gangster rappers or the ones that kind of like kept current with the trends. Like the conscious rappers, like 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 if you talk to kids about like De La Soul or um or I call Quest, like they have no clue at all whatsoever at all about them. Or even Outkast earlier albums, they have no clue about any of that stuff. Maybe they know Stankonia, maybe maybe they know Love Below and Speaker Box, maybe, but. They don't know about that stuff. Like you, I, I talked to a lot of kids. Like they have no clue about AT aliens. They have no clue about something played this college. And, and God forbid, they have no clue about nations or fear of a black planet at all. They don't know about any of this stuff. Whereas, in, whereas in rock and roll, like they keep deep. Those people make sure you know about the Rolling Stones and the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and Aerosmith and all the other guys. But it seems like in rap, it's kind of like what's hot right now, and let's move on. You trying to say? So there's that problem, I would think at least. I think there are a lot of problems with it. And it's probably, we could probably go on another podcast and actually just talk about that in real detail. Um, one million bottle bags. Once again, you start going off. I'm, I'm going to end up saying the same thing over again for a lot of these. Now, 
for me, this is, again, a very obvious track. Um, it's not that nuanced. It's very clear. It's quite didactic as well, which is another reason, I think, if we're talking about what we were talking about before, why maybe Chuck D hasn't translated as well. There is a little bit... I say this in the nicest way, but there, there are times when you're getting preached at, right? Now, there are times when being preached at is what you need, and there are other times when you're just like, listen, I kind of, you know... I'm in control of my drinking. I like an odd drink here or there. And I realized that I know people who are alcoholics and I know people who've had their lives ruined by it, but you're being a buzzkill. Leave me alone. Get off the album, right? Saying that, it's a great song. It's an absolutely great song. So that's my kind of personal feelings about it. Um, but I can't really divorce the reality of the song with my own reality like i'm i'm gonna bring my own emotions into this song and it's kind of like you know i'm like okay i understand i understand it's an issue i totally agree historically and at that time everything you know even like how i remember we were talking on the other podcast about how the aborigines in um, australia were kind of targeted with alcohol and drugs and, and the natives here and the natives here too yeah the native americans there yeah. black people especially in the 80s you know oh yeah drugs and there were Alcohol. so many, like, if you talk about zoning, if you talk about, like, like zoning in America, like, none of those advertisements for, for alcohol were never really in, like, like, when you talk about white neighborhoods, like, they were never even over there, like, the zoning and stuff like that, like, they were aiming a lot of shit, like, when even when I was a kid, like, there was, like, it, like, everywhere, like, all over the place, kind of thing like that. It was kind of, like, in your face, like, that shit right there. Like, he, like, he was talking about even when he went to go sue, um, he, he, he sued... Cool, because because they used one of their their songs or something like that, and he basically had to go there and fight them to like get the song taken off of there or whatever, to kind of push it right there. So basically, for him, for this song is basically aimed towards, like for him, like towards the kids, if anything, or that kind of thing. Like I see what you're saying with the kind of thing. Like if you're, if you're a responsible drinker, and you hear the song, you're like, man, okay, I get it. All right, let's move on. But at this point in right time, it was an issue because now you barely see alcoholic things in like the neighbor, the in like the hood anymore. You don't really see that shit. Like it was like the going back to like Joe, like with Joe Camel, when they were when they had Joe Camel with the cigarettes for the kids and kids were smoking cigarettes because they saw that. Oh yeah, yeah. I, but I don't think that was the reason why kids were smoking. But I get where they're going with that one. But like alcohol was a serious problem in at, at this at this point in time right now. Like I don't think it's as bad anymore as it was bef before. Hey, I mean you're, you've maybe picked the wrong day to say that because today when I went on my lunch break, right, um, I went to the shop and um, on the way there. And this has never happened before, right? My, I went to get my lunch, and on the way there, there were three completely drunk guys um, who were asking for money for drinks. Uh, bearing, this is like 200 yards from my office, right? I go in, go to the shop, I'm queuing. The woman in front of me is buying, all she's buying is alcohol, and in her bag, she's got alcohol wrapped in a brown paper bag because that's become a new thing here. You never used to have to do that, but recently you do. And in the queue to pay, she's just swigging away at it, right? And this is at 11.30 in the morning. And I was like, damn, you know, this is this is something that I've not seen before ever in, in that area before. And uh, it's kind of a bit shocking. So, I mean, I completely get the song and it's still as relevant today, I think. Um, I mean, I'm not obviously I'm not not sure about the black community in America and stuff, but if you talk about on a worldwide basis, I mean, Jesus, there is a lot of alcoholism. There really is, you know, 
even when I was at uni and stuff, it was just, you could see the guys or the girls who were just getting sucked in. You know, you could see it. You could see it coming a mile off. And you try and say something subtly, but they'd be like, you know, don't kill my high, man. You know, which is literally what I said three minutes ago. Like, but, like my, you know. yeah, like my philosophy is this, like, I, I have no problem. Like, responsible. I believe most people are responsible drinkers. But I also, but at the same time, I also believe, I also, in my experience with people, I also believe that there's people that should, should never ever trust, trust drugs or alcohol in their life. They should yeah. never just trust it. And that's, and that's where it gets shaky because people who are responsible drinkers, don't, they don't want to be preached down to. And I understand that. But there's a lot of people who, who, who like need that help, man. They need, to, they need to hear a song like this or something like that. They need yeah. that. Yeah. So, so basically, I think a song like this, like taking the music aside, which it, it goes back to another uh, killer kill a consultant and move kind of thing. I guess where the music is at. So it's okay, it's decent, there's not bomb squad powder. But sometimes they need to hear that message sometimes. It is I think so I think there's a weird thing with with, with people and messages sometimes. Like sometimes there's messages that need to be nuanced. And sometimes sometimes they just need to be told what the fuck the problem is. Like and that's my problem with sometimes with with, with some critics sometimes. Like on a whole, ninety five percent of the time Nuances, nuances is needed in art. I agree with that. Not, I personally agree with nuance. But there's that five percent of the time where sometimes you just got to say, it. just say what it is, and that's what it is right there. And going back to what you're saying with um with Chuck D, maybe that's why he fell out of favor in a sense because he's telling it like it is, and and because he convicted to say what he needs to say. Whereas with a lot of other artists, like if you if you have a message, okay, I got like like even MIA does it herself. It's kind of it's kind of like you got to put that 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 medicine in like an ice cream scoop so it goes down well. Where whereas Chuck D is like, okay, I got like it's a pocket like things are fucked up. I gotta say something. I gotta fucking say something. So that's what that's where he comes from. Whereas an artist right now who gives like social messages, they put it in some kind of like like some context. Like even MIA said it. She was like she's like nobody wants to dance to a lesson a, a, a lesson. It's a sugar-coated pill, yeah. isn't it, nowadays? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that's why I feel, okay, so to go back on the thing, and that's what I feel this, this, when we do a review of the album, I think that's what's going on with this one. Because I got, I got a theory about the new album. I think this is like, okay, you, it's like, you want me to be this guy? You want me to be this one? She, I think, <sighs> we probably going to edit this one out, but I, my gut is telling me that this next album is going to be a troll. I got this feeling in my gut. But you'll probably edit this out, so we can move on to the next one. But that's what my thing is. But um, um, so the next one we go to is more news at eleven. What do you think about this one? Uh, Harry <laughs> Allen pops up again. Yeah, and uh, he was on the um, millions. The I remember, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, don't believe the hype. And um, yeah, I think it's okay. This song, I think it's okay. I mean, I don't think it's a classic by any means. Um, it's not like a don't believe the hype kind of thing the beat's good again the beat's solid but it's not spectacular um it's it's again pretty obvious it's pretty self-explanatory if it's, you hear it's it. passable it's, just, it's passable yeah it, it carries along the album again it's one that i probably would have dropped but yeah. then there are quite a few on here that i probably would have dropped i agree it could have been, it should have been an ep just thought an ep with a couple of songs yeah. just go back out there yeah yeah all right um Maybe if they'd done like a, a film or something, or like you know, like a sort of like, you know, like, you know, like lemonade, Kanye. like lemonade, like lemonade. Yeah, exactly. Well, not even like lemonade, but you know, when Kanye did like that half an hour thing for Runaway. Yeah. But if you just did uh, like a you know like a half an hour film with you know six songs in it, right? 
I think that would have been dope, but obviously cost a lot of money. So I don't know, but um, I think that would have been kind of cool. All right. So and then you've got shut them down track 11. Oh my God. All right. So this is a, this is like the third classic because the, 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 this is the, this is the one song where the, the, the remix might arguably be more popular than the original version. I don't know if Pete you, are you aware of the Pete remix? Rock. Yeah. <laughs> so do you want to talk about the re- do you want to talk about the remix before we get to the, the original version? No, no, no. Let's just okay. do the original. Okay. Yeah. All right. So when this song so so when this song came out, okay. See, you gotta talk. I think you have to talk about the remix with the song because like the, the the original song. Okay, we'll go to the original song. The original song is 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 basically about kind of like uh, it's kind of like about boycotting not not so much boycotting. Uh, industries that aren't supporting black people, but at the same time, he's talking about building your own shit. Basically, it's like you got you can shut them down two ways. You can shut them down by you can you can shut these industries down by boycotting them. But the way you can really shut them down is kind of like buying your own business, which is a problem even to this day in the black community because everything's so fragmented. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's that goal of like if you really want to shut them down, if you really have this power, you got to go in there. You got to go in there, kind of like that. That situation, like the, the song is spelled predatory, but it's just like that, just the energy of the song, and that, and and that, and, and a sample of that. Oh, but it makes it sound like it's like, and and the hard scratches and stuff like that, and like he's like, I think it's probably the most like the most forceful Chuck has ever been in like in a song, where it's kind of like he's like you see him on a pulpit, like you can basically see him on a pulpit, even on the video it has like the images of all different black leaders, this and that, like him and him and Flavor Flavor on a corner. And he's just like, and even on the songs, like kind of got those scratches back and forth going through there. And like the opening of it, I testify, my mama cried, black people die when the other man lied. See the TV, listen to me, double trouble, overhaul, I'm coming from the lower level. The other line is, the other classic line is, um, I like Nike, but wait a minute, neighborhood supports to put some money in it. Kind of like that, corporations, oh, they got to give the deal to our talents, we got to shut them down. And that one right there, and what was the other one? The one, okay, and of course the 10 crack commanders used that. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. What I used. It's the 10 crack commanders. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then Chuck sued them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Even though Biggie died, Chuck sued them. I was always, back at the time, do you know what, actually? That might be a reason. There was a lot of bad publicity for Chuck D back then. Because Biggie died, it was obviously a very emotional time. Then his album came out a week later. I mean, that was crazy. And um, and then Ten Crack Command, Ten Crack Commandments, one of the biggest songs on it, right? And uh, that sample, that one, two, three, four, five, that was Chuck D. And then he was like, "No, you, I don't care if Big died. You need to pay me this, you know." And I think a lot of people at the time, because there was such a narrative around Biggie dying and stuff, they were like. Oh, come on, man. Just let it go. Let it go. But in complete fairness, why? Why should he? You know, if Puff is sampling God knows what on that album and paying everyone else, then why should he, you know, just because it's Chuck D, why should he, you know? Because he, cause he was saying, because Chuck D saying, like, the one of the big problems with that was, is that it was, like, endorsing crack, which is kind of, like, going against, like, his whole entire thing kind of situation right there. Because like, cause the, the way that he was saying it, it was, that was the issue. Because it's kind of... Oh, okay. Yeah. That's where he was coming from with it, and people were. Taking I don't remember that at the time. That yeah. might be retrospectively what he was saying, but I mean, well, or at least the, the media narrative was that he was just, you know, look, I want my money. Nah, because I think he was—he was well off at that point. I think 
I think the point was the same. It was, like it was the more the principle of the matter. That's yeah. what that's what came across at the time over here. Anyway, it was more like, look, this is the principle of the matter. You sampled me. You need to pay. I don't care if Biggie's died. Right. Almost like that's how it was spun. Uh, that was certainly how it spun over here at the time. We're at, like literally at the time in 1997, because I do remember. And maybe like afterwards, it all kind of broke down into different ways. But you know, mud sticks, right? And if the media is kind of painting him as a bit of a... Because you couldn't you know, say anything better, Biggie, at that point. Lacking compassion. Yeah, exactly. Lacking compassion. And like, you know, he could have phrased things a bit better or whatever. I don't know if she even said these words, right? I have no idea. But that's how the media spun it, right? And the media was obviously going to be very pro-Biggie, pro-Puffy at that point. I might, get, I might get in trouble for saying this because there is this thing sometimes... Like I res- like like I re- I, re- I I get big and I respect big and I respect pop, but sometimes and like it even goes back to any other person who dies like Kurt Cobain. But there's always this moment of when they die, it's almost like with 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 the masses, it's almost like if you even say one thing, like even if it's not a criticism, even if it's like like you have a kind of a point, like nobody wants to hear that shit at all. Nobody wants to hear. It. Like even to this day, mm-hmm. it's almost like um, like you can't it's heresy. Say, yeah, you can't say anything wrong about big or pop to certain people. If you say it, then oh my god, blah blah. It's almost like that. It's almost like you, you, you like, and I understand, and I get the psychology of it. It's like because I remember when I remember when Biggie came out, he was he was he was big, but he was bigger when he died. When Coco Bain died, like his he was having a hard time selling shows, but then when he died, all of a sudden he was like a, like legendary. It's like it's almost like they they die early, and then all of a sudden it's like. It's like this communal kind of feel to kind of like to lionize them in a way, even though they were great artists. You know what I'm trying to say? But it's almost like that thing was like where you can't say nothing or do nothing or do anything that is wrong. And then later on, it's like, and then later on for most of them, everything smooths out, and then the then the fair criticisms kind of pop back in. But it's like at that moment in time, even though you just, like I'm saying, I'm not I'm not defend I'm not I'm not defending or arguing for Chuck. But I'm just saying like it always seems like there's that point right there where it's like that. Because he blew up. Because like people who weren't. Because I remember when 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 Biggie died, there were people who were never listening to that guy started listening to him. People who didn't mm. know jack shit about Biggie started doing stuff like that. And then Pac. Because I remember when Pac came out, like he was hot, but the the, the greatest poet of all time stuff didn't happen until he died. Like his biggest hits were "I Get Around" and "California Love." It wasn't it wasn't the other stuff that that he was known for later on. It's like those songs were great. But it wasn't known for like he was known for that. When California Love came out, like I'm like, I'm, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, and when he died, I'm like, and when people start saying the poet stuff, I'm like, you guys that came out the world, because I'm looking around and I'm like, you guys are, you guys were saying this shit when he was alive. Like he had great I tell you songs. what, I tell you what, with Tupac, it will be really interesting because I think next year, you know, the Straight Out of Compton film, right? Yeah. The next one is the Tupac one. Yeah. Right. So that's in filming at the moment and stuff. I think it'll be very interesting to see how that all plays out, yeah. basically. Because with Straight Out of Compton, they did give a pretty fair reflection. The only thing they did leave out was the Dr. Barnes. beating. The Barnes yeah. Thing. Which which then I think is I think they left it in, in the director's cut or something, okay. I don't know. But but they chickened out and left that out, right? Mm. And I can understand why from a purely selfish Dr. Dre point of view, you yeah. know. But um but the two pack one my God, that's a tangled web of, <laughs> you know. Because there's a lot of truth about know. Tupac that people are going to be comfortable with. Oh, yeah. Because mm. yeah. like, 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 it was funny because going back Listen, to you, you know like Bob Marley, how Bob Marley became a poster? Yeah. Right? So there's the Bob Marley poster of him smoking weed and, mm-hmm. you know, looking all philosophical and shit, yeah. right? And then everyone's got them in their dorm halls and stuff like that, <laughs> yeah. right? That's what Tupac became. Yes. Yeah. 
thanks to some in fact thanks also to someone like Eminem right who who basically used the Tupac death train retrospectively to bolster himself up right Mm. yeah in ways yeah and I think Tupac became a poster as well. He certainly did when I was at uni. He was a poster on the wall, like Bob Marley and Bruce Lee, and yeah. Else like, I never, because here's the thing: I never owned, I never owned a Tupac album. I never owned one, and all of a sudden, everybody was like, "Because like I said, I like Tupac. I like his songs, stuff like that." And all of a sudden, when he got killed, all of a sudden, it's like everybody's worshiping him. I was like, "Where the like? Is some, is there something wrong with me?" Because I was in high school, I was like, "Is there something wrong with me?" Because I don't remember everybody being on, being on him like this. And then when Biggie died, I, was like, I remember Juicy. I remember Hypnotize. I remember all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, everyone's like, he, was a, he spoke to our generation and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, where did this come from? Where did all this stuff come from? And it was funny because, um, as an aside, it was like, so going back to, um, to Coco Bain for a moment, that his daughter said recently, like, she has a different point of view of him. She's angry at him because, like, why did he give up? Like, why did he leave me? Like, her thing is, like, why did he leave me? So, and then people got mad at her. I'm like, you can't get mad at, I was like, how you gonna get mad at his daughter for having her opinion? And so I was like, why are you, like, you people, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? His, his, his daughter is, is entitled to have that opinion. That's his daughter. Like, That's the I, most natural thing in the world yeah. to question, you know. Like, I, I understand, like, don't get me wrong, I understand suicide is a, is a rough thing for people because some people, it's like mental issues and stuff like that. But his daughter was allowed to have that opinion out of anybody. None of us on the dirt, because we don't know the guy. But his daughter is allowed to have that opinion, so you guys need to come. And, and that's where that the the, herd, the masses and the herd thing comes from. Where that oh, it's my pet peeve. Oh my god, when we get started on a, on a prequels. Oh my god. Okay, let's try and get back. Let's get back. I'm sorry. I we think got, that's probably a good can, segue. We can wrap the song real quick. So, so let's get to that. <laughs> okay, let's let's the New York Post. How do you think about what do you think about that? one? Go ahead. You, you say you gonna say probably what I'm gonna say. I mean, I don't, I don't know what's worse, right? Mm-hmm. The New York Post or this song? <laughs> so it's kind of like, oh Jesus, I don't know. What it's just, it's literally just, it's it's like holding the hand of the listener and trying to guide them through everything as if they're a moron, right? Can I, can as I if you're an absolute moron. Yeah. Sorry, go on, go on. Can I guess what this album was about? I feel like this song right here, where Flavor is in trouble, and Flavor wanted to do a song to make him seem like he was this saint. When, when when you could clearly see that he wasn't the same, you know what I'm saying? Like it was it was it was like it was like I'm so in, like, it's, I feel like I felt like like they were they were trying to paint me a picture of Flavor Flay that wasn't the same as the Flavor Flay that I seen in the news, getting in trouble every day. Like oh woe is me, why the post fucking with me, blah blah blah, this and that. I'm like come on, Flav, just own up to it. Kit, let me ask you one thing, right? <laughs> could you imagine this song being released in this era right now? They would pick it apart, man. They would. Tear how it much? How much shit would he be in? Woo! There would be so many think pieces on this, right? Oh the internet would break. Oh my god! Yeah. And, and, Journalists would starve for oh. days on end just writing think pieces about that song. I'm like, come if, on. if that was a 26, oh my word, Jesus. Mm. Um, I don't know. There's nothing really listener. Like if you've never heard it before, then. <laughs> And I envy you in a way. <laughs> it, was a, it was a simpler era in my life when I didn't know this song. The yeah. last one okay. is... Uh, Get the fuck out of Dodge. Yeah. All right. So what do you think about that one? Um, I don't know. I mean, at this point, I'm kind of... Zoned out. Well, because of the previous song, I'm like, 
<laughs> Jesus, I just want the album to end. And I also know that the last song is uh, a, a redo. Of, a remix, yeah. So it doesn't count. Yeah, yeah. So I'm kind of like, okay, there's one song left. Please just don't let it suck, right? Like like the Flavor's Flavor one. Because, you know, I, I've gone on about Flavor on the previous two podcasts about how much I absolutely loved him. I got him. I was like, wow, amazing, amazing. And then on this album, it's just... It's like, it's like a drop, the quality dropped off. His, his tracks were like, the, it yeah. like dropped off. He lost it. He lost it. He lost the mojo, you yeah. know? So... So this is like another How, how to Kill a Consultant. It's kind of like another one where the lyrics are okay. But the song itself is just like, okay, whatever. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's not really the best way to end the album. I know officially it's not ended, but this Mm. is the last original song. Yes. And like, you know, for me, I'm probably not going to listen to the rest of the Public Enemy album. So for me, this is probably the last original song from them. And um, it's kind of just a bit blah, isn't it? It's a bit blah, bit blah. Musically, lyrically, it's okay. Um and I'm just kind of like, at least the one thing I'll say for it, at least it's short. It's only two two minutes, 38 seconds. So it doesn't. So, so, so you made a point and got out. That's exactly. So you, so you think this is the album where aside for like two or three tracks, this is one where like they put all energy to the other one. So this is what all they had to offer at this point. Yeah. I mean, there is, there's still some cool lyrics on this. You know, yeah. he, sort of, he mentions cool G rap and stuff like that, which oh, yeah. I'm always down with. I love cool G rap. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, after, if we, we might as well just skip ahead to the last song, right? Have you got anything to add on this song? Nothing really at all. No, no. So the last one is Bring the Noise, which is like your favorite track ever, isn't it? But this is a remix. Yeah, the remix is fun, but it's no, it's, no, it's no patch on the original. Okay. So this, this is by Anthrax. Who, yes. Um, I'm guessing most of our listeners probably won't know who Anthrax is. <laughs> Heavy metal band, were, yeah. One of the yeah, one of the big four. There's, there's, the big four were considered. There was Megadeth, which is my favorite one. Metallica, uh, Anthrax, and uh, Slayer. So I guess at, okay. at this point it was kind of like like because Anthrax were one of the first groups of, of heavy metal guys that were like 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 speaking the world. Like even back in the, it takes a million days, Joe Bunch of the show, they were swearing by a public enemy. They were even telling their fans to get a hold of these guys, kind of like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was like Anthrax and Public Enemy had this 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 friendship going way back to Young Bunch of the show, kind of back in that day. So so when you hear so you hear on when you hear on um, the original Bring the Noise where it's like wax for Anthrax still can rock well he's giving shout outs to them because even back in that day Anthrax were down with Public Enemy giving them shout outs kind of thing so they have a friendship even to this day and I think it's a clever thing to do as well because actually if you're talking about chronologically or well if you're just talking about the amount of time between the original Bring the Noise and this. There's not actually that much time. It's no. Like three, three and a half years. It's yeah. not that much time, right? Yeah. And was the original Bring the Noise a single? Mm-hmm. Yes. Was, was it a single? Yeah, it was that? a single. It was a single, yes. It was a single. So, I mean, I think it's quite clever to do it. And then it kind of brings it back to when you hit play on It Takes a Nation, you know? I think it, then you kind of look at it as three, as a trilogy, effectively, right? And then it, it takes it back and in full circle, which is cool. I think it's kind of cool. Yeah. Like I said, I call this the. Re- I, I, I say if 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 um, nations is Star Wars and uh, and uh, uh, fear is Empire Strikes Back, then this is Return of the Jedi, which is basically I say this is Return of the Jedi. There's some greatness in Return of the Jedi, but there's a lot of filler in Return of the Jedi. Everything with with Vader and the Emperor and Vader, Luke, and the Emperor is relevant to the plot, and everything else outside of it is kind of like interesting filler to that point. And I feel like that's the same thing with this one. Like, there's two or three songs that are relevant and still relevant, but 
But then the rest of it is kind of like, okay, it's okay. But it's like, we could do, we, we, we've done better. That's how I feel with it. Yeah, yeah. I think there are some interesting parts in Return of the Jedi. Oh, yeah. Um, but, Don't get me wrong. I love Return of the Jedi. I, but I'm looking, yeah, at, I'm looking yeah. at it from a critical level. I'm just saying, like... Oh, yeah. No, I mean... but And there are some really memorable parts. I can, I can remember almost everything in... Put it this way, right? If I was on a really bad date, yeah, and the girl was just going on and on and on, then I would kind of drift off. And in my head, I would, like, replay a film, like... I could probably replay most of Star Wars accurately. I could replay all of Empire Strikes <laughs> Back pretty yeah. accurately. Right? If I had to do Return of the Jedi, right, and the girl was still talking by this point, I would be like, okay, I can remember the scene when they're on the the hover scooter things going through the forest. Yes. And or I can remember the, the, Jabba. the, key, the Ewoks. I can remember, I love when, uh, what's his name, C-3PO is telling them yeah. the stories and stuff like that and uh, and they think he's a god. And I can remember the really cheesy ending, and that's and, and also also Luke and Leia. Yeah. Um, but outside of that, I don't really remember too. Much. I barely remember anything about Darth Vader in that film. Um, you remember him throwing except, the Emperor down except, except yeah, except literally the ending where oh. it's it's you know I practically cry. But otherwise, I don't really remember anything. And that film's like two and a half hours long, so it's kind of like okay, what happens to the rest of the film? You know, and that's kind of like this album, I guess. Um, you've probably, like you said, you've got three great songs and then it kind of goes around full circle to bring the noise. However, I think it's a bit of a disservice because Yo Bum Rush to Show, I think it's actually a really dope album. Um, have you got any final thoughts about um, Apocalypse 91? I would say that there's, there's, there's three songs where Chuck's at his lyrical best and there's three classics and the other stuff is enjoyable, I would say, for the most part. But uh, compared to the other two, and maybe Boom Rush the Show, I would say that. <sighs> what can I say? It's Return of the Jedi. That's all I can say. Like I still enjoy it, but it's it doesn't have a patch on the last two that came before it. The, you see, my problem with you calling it Return of the Jedi, mm. which I think is is accurate if you take it as a trilogy, yeah. yes. right? Is that you're negating the existence of the first album, which I think is a disservice because it's not like Yo Bum Rush the Show is one of the prequels, right? Oh no, I, so, I, I, I say like you know what I say. I, I think it's better. I think I think it's a much better album actually gotcha. in a lot of ways. Gotcha. In a lot of ways, obviously it's not as polished. Then it's their debut, and this it's still kind of that like mid eighties style of rapping and stuff. Because for right? for yeah, because I feel like I don't even go to because to me okay. the one problem. With, like I think it's an excellent album too, and it maybe and most likely it's better than Apocalypse ninety one, but the only thing that holds it back for me is is that a lot of it like especially like like the same way I you said the middle of um of it takes a nation sound samey and then um the middle of fear sounds kind of samey like to me like your bunch of shows sounds samey a lot on that one not to say that's mm-hmm. not a great album like I still think it's a great album don't get me wrong. Like I say, I, for 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 a debut album, for a debut album at that point in time, and, and the way he was going, I'm like, yes. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, if, like I because the only reason I, the only reason why I use the, the the Nations Fear and Apocalypse trilogy as a thing, not to, and, but I'm not negating it because I say like it takes Nation was a game was like a, a game changer in rap. Like yo take yo Bunch of Joe wasn't a game changer. It was an excellent album. Yo Nations was like a game changer. And then 
Fear was like taking that game changer sonically to the next level. And then Apocalypse was kind of like, okay, let's wrap this up. But it's kind of like, okay, we're running out of fumes. We still got some good ideals. But those good ideals kind of carry the album in a way, in a sense. But I would, but I would agree with you. If, if, you, if you told me, if you asked me which one would be the greater album, uh, Your Bumpers to Show and, or Apocalypse 91, I would easily say Your Bumpers to Show. Out of, for creativity, yes, I would say that, absolutely. No I also, th- I also think it. Mm. I also think having listened to it and then read up about it and stuff, mm. um, I don't think the whole album is a, a classic start to finish. Yeah, but there are some amazing moments on here. And actually, if you're talking about, you, you know, you said before that uh, it takes a nation was I can't remember the word you used, but if you're saying that that kind of really spurred on hip hop to new heights, right, and did something completely different. I think I agree with the, the spurring onto new heights thing, but if you talk about doing something something completely different, actually, Yo Bum Rush's show, if you really get into it, a song like Public Enemy Number One, I mean, what, <laughs> you know, yeah. if you're talking about of course. my Uzi way, my Uzi ways a ton, mm-hmm. and you, you know, there are some, oh yeah, even the term, even the last track on it as well, that got sampled loads, and I mean, there's there's just a lot on it, and I think the second half of it, especially, just completely kicks off and it's just lunacy it's amazing and compare it to what had been going on in hip-hop before and i i think it really did kick something off actually especially since it takes a nation was released pretty soon afterwards like what the next year or something like that yeah. i mean it's just crazy it's absolutely see how the leap, you see the leap in that you see how the leap that was see what a leap oh that was God. It's like, it's like fish growing legs and crawling out into it's like how the hell did the oh wow. Like how do you go from that how do you go from this to that? Like how do you like how do you even start that, basically? What do you mean? No, like how do you even how do you even start to explain that? Like the the Oh, I mean I I have no idea. I mean Cause they were torn, they were torn while they were while they were while they were doing um it takes a nation. They were like in the studio and touring. It wasn't like it wasn't like they were like just sitting there like got like a studio session. They were doing all this shit from Yo Bump Rush Show to It Takes a Nation. You know what I'm trying to say? Like it wasn't like they were like they, they took this chunk this huge chunk of time and then sat there and just did it. They were like on the they were doing that shit like relatively on the fly while they were pushing this shit forward. Maybe because so many people were involved in it. You know, as as you talked about before, you know, you said Chuck D thinks of them like a team. You know, it's not him plus a bunch of people supporting him. No, they're all a team, right? And I think that's the only thing that I can think of, really, that explains such a jump. Because if you've got, like, six, seven people all really pulling in the same direction and all really working together in the zone, they're energized, and I think that's the only thing that can explain it because then that kicks it onto new heights, right? It's almost like a team sport. Um, Because if it was just one person relying on some producers... And don't forget, back then... What had tended to happen was you'd have one MC and one DJ and then they'd make the album together, effectively. Sometimes that overlapped because I don't want to get too deep into it right now, but like on Paid in Full, you know, it's supposed to be Eric B that's done all the beats, but really it was Rakim did a lot of them. Um, Slick Rick exactly the same on Greatest Ventures. Slick Rick actually produced a lot of the album himself. Um, and you know, you can understand that when you realize how how unbelievably talented those guys were. Yeah. Um, I don't know how it worked with Big Daddy Kane as much, um, but 
with these guys, it, it feels like a team effort. Gotcha. It really, it really does. And when you've got everyone pulling in that direction, then maybe that explains it. But I mean, if we, we won't talk extensively about, um, Yo Bum Rush the show, but can you at least maybe name some of your favorite songs off it? Uh, we don't have to do the whole thing. No, no. I mean, public, I mean, if you're asking me, okay. Um, my Uzi Ways of Time, Public Enemy Number One, um, Sophisticated, um, and then the other ones, Raise the Roof. Like I said, like, 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 I'll give example. Like, this is my, if I was going, if I was working out in the gym, I could play from beginning to end. If I was listening to it laying down in the bed, I don't know if I could do that. I put it that way. Like, I have to, I have to be doing something like, 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 like energetic to listen to this album all the way through. Otherwise, I would I would like pick a, choose a couple of songs and then like go out of there. But that with that being said, um, I still think it's an excellent album for 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 the, for the time and the style they were going for. I think they were doing that style as well as as well as anybody else could be doing that style at that point. And like you said, going back to my PE, like you you could tell they were they were they were, they were, they were experimenting with that like that that crazy noise stuff that they just went full off like full off on on the next album. Kind of do like that. You you can hear like you can hear that much in that album. Where I was like, okay, they're doing some experimental stuff, but they're still in that kind of like that that old school rap and flow style, and, they, and they, like they kind of did it. But within that, they kind of left that thing. Too. But I would say my Uzi was a ton, and Public Enemy the one sophisticated, and maybe raise the roof. I would say. Hmm. Now the one thing I would say, I know I've, I've praised it um, a lot, but. It is the kind of album that does sound dated. Yes, now. the majority of it does yes. sound dated. Mm-hmm. I'd exclude um, Public Enemy Number One from it, and maybe My Easy Ways to Turn and a couple mm-hmm. of others. But in yeah. general, the whole album definitely sounds dated. Yes, it definitely sounds mid eighties kind of thing. And then the jump up, as we've, as we've <laughs> explained, that inexplicable jump up, mm-hmm. um, that you could give to a kid nowadays and they'd get it. If you gave this to a kid nowadays, they'd be like, Yeah, okay. He's, this is like some background music from a show about the early eighties or something. It's not, you know, they wouldn't really get it. That's why I wouldn't recommend it to a kid right now. I would recommend no, the other no. two, but not this one. No. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, which is a shame because it does collect a couple of, uh, it does have a couple of great songs on it. And actually I like, it's funny because uh, my easy ways a ton. I, it's uh, J electronica did a version of yeah. it. Um, <laughs> and that, so I didn't realize who was referencing this. I yeah. have no idea. So, I, I guarantee you, you'll probably start hearing guys more and start seeing what they're referencing at this point. Because yeah. at the very least, the first three, maybe not so much uh, Apocalypse for the three songs I talked about, like, I guarantee you, like, there's so uh, so many people reference those. Because I think, I think Chuck D, especially with the, especially with Nations and Fear, I think he's a rapper. I think his legacy, as far as rappers and peers go, is basically because of those two albums. And maybe those three that we're talking about in Apocalypse. I think, but I think because that they didn't transfer well over into the '90s. I think the key. I think the key to being like kind of like being referenced as all the greats, especially with these kids right now, is if you were hot in the '90s, like the mid '90s to late '90s, then you'll most likely be remembered. But if you're not, then chances are you'll be forgotten. At least in the mainstream, look at it right there. Like you kind, of, you kind of had to hit like '90, like '95 to like 2000, maybe. 2000, oh, 2005, maybe from that point. I think I think the tier, I, I, I have I have this weird theory about like the tr the trl era kind of separated the men from the boys, the girls from the women. I think when it came to that era, 
it was like if you could if you could make the leap if you were hot in the TRL era and you could leap and survive off of that point and still be relevant, I think you made it. I think at that point it seems like. I'm sorry, I'm gonna have to ask. What's TRL? Oh, you don't know what TRL yeah. is? A Total Request Live. No. Never seen an MTV. No. Oh my god. Jesus. No. Wow. <laughs> I guess you guys are gonna learn something new today. Okay, no. MTV had this show called Total Request Live. You guys, do you know what Car- do you know what Carson Daly is? Yeah. Okay. Carson Daly hosted a show called Total Request Live in New York. And like basically they would break down the top five videos. This is like when TRL TRL hit So when was this? When was this? This is like this hit when Britney Spears came up with uh Hit Me Baby One More Time and the Backstreet Boys came oh, out. Oh okay, so hang on, wait, wait, wait. So they're in like a, a studio and yes. it's got windows overlooking yes. Times Square and then they get in. Okay, yeah, I know yes. I know what that is. Okay. Yes. So that era was when like corn came out and Limp Biscuit and it had like Backstreet Boys and Eminem was out at that point Eminem, in time. Eminem, yeah, and, yeah. And, and Kid Rock. So basically, at that point in time, that was like like that era was like that era was like peak MTV from like I was trying to think. It started in ninety when I graduated. TRL started because I remember I was going to college and I woke up early in the morning and Britney Spears that that hit me baby one. and I remember she I called her a bootleg Debbie Gibson. I called her that at the point right there. <laughs> so because I was like, I was like, I was like are, we, are we going this route again? And then the Backstreet Boy came out. I was like, "Oh my god, we got now we got bootleg new kids in the block." I was like, everything that I hated in high, in, in high school, it started coming back around. I was like, Jesus, it came around so fast. And then Instant came out. So at that point, that's when like everything, like the it was like rock was hot at that point, pop was hot at that point, hip hop was hot at that point. Like everything, like came to like a like it was like 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 a synthesis in America where like everybody was like cross pollinating with each other. It was like DMX was doing like them biscuit tracks. And and these guys were doing this with this one, and Quorum was doing with Ice Cube. I was like, everybody was like cross pollinating at that point. And then I think it hit the peak with the 1999 Music Awards with uh, Chris Rock, when uh, they had Kit Rock and Ricky Martin and all of them there, and J Lo and stuff like that. It was like crazy. So I think at that era, Chuck D and them didn't make it to the air. They did not make it to the air. Even when it came out the He Got Game soundtrack, it came out like at 95, I think. But it didn't like really hit, so anybody who wasn't hot at that point tended to get like left in the dust as far as relevance in America, at least I would say. So yeah, I, I think that's probably that's probably a fair assessment. I would have thought because yeah. even Slick Rick, Slick Rick, yeah. went away to jail for a while, and then he came back and he had a night. He had an album in 1999 that was actually a dope album, and he had progressed. You know, his style had progressed. He'd gone with the production and stuff like that. The production was pretty dope, and it, and it sold healthily that album. Um, the art of storytelling. Oh, it's a great, great one. Um, he never released another album after that, but he has features every now and then. You know, like uh, he had an amazing one on Most Def's album in two thousand and eight called Auditorium, and he's kind of kept relevant. And people, he's such an icon that rappers always talk about him. Oh yeah, he's like oh, great adventures, great adventures. You know, mm. even if you talk about Biggie, I mean, you know, hypnotize the chorus on that is taking Slick Rick's <laughs> chorus from one yeah. of his songs. You know? yeah. And and on the next song, he's like, I got more rhymes than Great Adventure. Because those kids who were listening to Big at that point in time, they thought that was new. Like, they had no clue about this other yeah. stuff. Like, all those greats, like, like his Slick Rick bit that came, that wasn't even on their radar at that point. No, that's me. You're describing yeah. me. Because, yeah. like, say in, in the mid to late 90s, if you talk it like we were talking about Puck before, then we didn't know all the 80s rappers and stuff. We just didn't know. I mean, listen, we we didn't even know Illmatic, really, yeah? 
for us, it was when Nas hit, it was when If I Ruled the World hit. Yeah. Yeah, because that can be annoyed. That can be annoyed. Nas Escobar. That's when Nas Escobar. I'm like, what? I remember people was like, what the hell? Nas Escobar, what the fuck? Yo, Nas diehards are like pissed off, man. They're like, what the hell is this? How do you go from Elmatic to this bullshit? What the hell? Yo, they were losing their minds, man. But the, my, because my, my experience is, I was listening to it. I had a, a flat top for crying out loud. I was there with Run DMC and Kid and Play. Oh, I was there for that stuff. So I, it's funny when I talk to kids in school and they talk to me about rap. And it's like, you know about rap? I was like, yo, man. I was there when Jesus. I was there. I was there with Breaking and Beat Street. I was there. What are you talking about, sons? Like, what are you talking about? I get offended when they say that. They look at me like you don't know nothing about this. Like they talk about OG makeup. I'm like, shut the hell up. You don't know nothing. Leave me alone. You no, no. But hang on. You weren't in like the Africa Bambata Grandmaster Flash era of things, you know. I was aware. I was. I'd say my my earliest awareness. You might or, have technically been no, no, alive. No, no, no. I, I, but I, I, it's I, not like you let, kind let, of. Let me tell you what I was aware of. Let me tell you what I was aware on. of. I was aware. Uh, I was aware of uh, Run DMC. I was aware of White Lines. I was. I was aware of the the message when I was a kid. I was aware. I was aware of a lot of stuff when I was a kid. I was aware. Don't push me. I remember used to sit there and watch it. Oh, it's funny because this was when MTV went off at like seven o'clock and they got the dead air. Like when MTV didn't even have, couldn't even make it to like like eight o'clock. Like they had to cut it off. Mm-hmm. I remember when Nickelodeon couldn't even make it to eight o'clock. They had Danger Mouse. They had uh, Pinwheel and all stuff like that. I can remember all that stuff. Like, I was aware of a lot of stuff. I remember those cheesy, the cheesy videos. I was aware of um, Shaka Khan. I was aware with "I Feel for You," but that was like a little bit later after uh, the the the, uh, the thing. I was there for "It Takes Two Makes Things Go Right." I was aware of that. I was aware of um, what the hell was that song? White lines go high. I was aware of freaking Caligula when it came out for crying out loud. Jesus, I remember. I was. Uh, I remember my mom. Yeah. My mom and them couldn't find a babysitter, so I had to lay down in the back seat. She's like, "Don't watch the movie." And I remember seeing it. it I was like, "What the hell is this?" I remember that. Hang on, you're talking about the film Caligula. Yes, Caligula. You saw it as a child. No, my mom and my mom. My mom <laughs> they never. They, they wanted to go to the movie. This, this podcast just took a real left turn. <laughs> they didn't have. They didn't have a babysitter, so they thought that they could put me in the back seat and like just keep like my head down, so I wouldn't see the movie. Like you, like back in the day, you had those speakers where you could they kept the speaker low. You had the speaker on the side of the the, the um the uh the car, and you get you, you had the volume to do that like that. So I was in the back seat. So you know how they, like there's an opening in the middle. They thought they had me all the way up, scooted up like to the car door, so I couldn't see it. So I was just like just go to sleep blah, 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 like that. And then I took a peek, and I was like, what the hell? Like I see him walking all naked with his dingling flailing all around. I'm like, what the hell? She's like, what are you looking at? Go to sleep. So there's there's that right there. So I was aware I was aware of a lot of stuff when I was a kid. I was aware of Halloween when it came out. I was aware of a lot of stuff, man. I was do aware. You know, do you know? I was aware of I was aware of Poltergeist actually. Yeah. I mean, my um, my grandmother was babysitting us, and I tricked her into letting me watch Poltergeist, and I was, I think I was about six years old. Uh-huh. Freaked out. Needless to say, I didn't sleep that night very well. Oh, I, and I learned my lesson. That creeped me out, of course. That the tree in the, the tree in the hallway and the doors. I'm like, what? The heck? That guy ripping his face off. Like, we gotta wrap this up because we're going off the deep end. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's take this back. We're going back to the '80s and shit. All right, so your final yeah. thoughts on uh, Apocalypse '91? Now I gave mine already. Okay, let me give my final thoughts on just the the whole 
public enemy, basically. Just very briefly. I think we're talking Yo Bum Rush the Show. I think it's a great introduction. It sounds kind of dated nowadays, obviously, except for a couple of tracks. But, you know, it, it is it's definitely a good starting point. They really kick into gear and jump up like 50,000 levels on It Takes a Nation, which I'm going to say now I think is my favourite public enemy album. Yeah. And uh, it's diverse. It's completely in your face. Musically, it's just genius. I think the second half of the album is 10 out of 10. I don't think the first half of the album is, but um, it's still amazing. Then you've got Fear of a Black Planet, which is better in practically every single way. Um, but it's so deep, it's so complex, and, I mean, Christ, you just have to listen to the podcast, <laughs> which went on for three days, practically, you know, and, um, but amazing album, and again, another pretty much 10 out of 10, and then you get to album number four, and I think, like I said before, if you're talking about spring, summer, winter, uh, spring, summer, autumn, winter, I think this is winter, this is the end for them, the natural kind of end point. After that, it's kind of never the same, um, but there are still some, great moments on it like we said there are three particularly great moments and then some other kind of all right ones and stuff um and and yeah i think if you're talking about a public enemy's legacy this time a few weeks ago before we started doing this podcast i wasn't i hadn't listened to them properly you know i had listened to them like a decade and a half ago but it never made it never made the right impression on me back then i just wasn't ready for it now i listen to it and the whole point of this podcast, you know, we've named it Transatlantic Rebels for a reason, you know, the kind of people that we are, we are rebels by nature, that's who we are, right? We we might not be doing it in big political ways and stuff, but we, but we, it's our nature, it's in our makeup. And Public Enemy, if you're a rebel as well, and I'm sure if you're, if you're listening <laughs> at this point, you're probably, there's a part of you that probably is, right? Yeah. Then you, you've got to listen to Public Enemy. It's essential. I think, you know, the, the, the raison d'etre of this podcast is trying to highlight rebellious art and analysing it and talking about it. That's what, what we'll generally stick to. That's generally our principle. We're probably not going to start reviewing season four of Friends. God bless it. But that's probably not what we're going to do, right? So Public Enemy, you've got to do it. You've got to listen to them, you know. And, and let me hand over to the public enemy expert, Mr. Rashad. I just say what I, to me, I was like, I keep it simple. Like to me, basically, if, if you, if somebody was to ask me what public enemy would be about, I would just hand them in nations and I would hand them fear. And I would say, go at it. But I would also say that, um, I, I, I think there's a, there's a, like the, the word conscious gets a bad word sometimes. Cause they always think somebody's like always preaching to you. And like I said, maybe maybe um, Apocalypse ninety one maybe is guilty of that more so than most. But I would say, if you want to hear like some of the very best at the, like the peak of it, I would say listen to Nations, and then I would say listen to Fear, pretty much. And other than that, I really can't like you. I really can't explain it. It's like you got to hear it, kind of like that. Like you can explain Public Enemy, but unless you actually hear it, like you're not gonna get you're not gonna get it. And like I said, they're not gonna be for everybody, everybody. But I think if you're a hip hop fan, like those, those are those those two albums, Fear and Nation, are like required listening if you want to get like the full context of like rap and where it went and where it's going and how it's still influencing stuff right now. Matter of fact, um, Fear of, Fear of a Black Planet was um is is installed in the Library of Con- Congress is one of the most important works of art in American history. So there's that, there's that going for you, and it's and it's very difficult to go into that. So it's going into that kind of like 
if anybody knows about the Liberian like, Congress, it's like it's take as far at least the art. It's like the art that represented American culture that was like like important with a capital I, and that one is put in there. And there's like there's not a lot of rap albums that are put in there, but that's one of the few that's put in there. So that's there's that. So yeah, and and as a last point, if I can just say as a general thing for this this podcast, right? If we are talking about certain music albums it kind of helps if if you're a real music head and a music obsessive then really sign up to a streaming service because it will make your life so much easier you know it you get free ones but if you can just pay the ten dollars or pen ten pounds a month trust me you know public enemies on there mia's on there all the other ones that we'll be talking about pretty much guaranteed to be on there right and like Personally, I would never have gone out and bought Yo Bum Rush's show just so I could talk about it on this podcast for twenty minutes. I just wouldn't. I'm, I'm Indian. I wouldn't spend that money. I'd consider it. <laughs> so I'd just be like, no, right. But having a streaming service is brilliant. It's absolutely fantastic. So, um, I mean, I use Google Play Music, but I mean, obviously there are other great ones out there. So, um, I can fully recommend it if you're a music head, anyway. You know, you get all the new ones, you get all the old classics, and it's it's perfect. So uh, I can I can fully recommend it. Um, what we're going to do is uh, we'll wrap this one up. Should we give any hints about what we're going to do next? Uh yeah. All right. So my 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 dream. Some there, there there's a side of me that likes getting people mad. So there's there's these there's these three movies that we're going to go over next, and um. I I, I I think that I, I'll give you a hint. There's there's six there's there's six movies in this series. As far as I'm concerned, I understand it's more, but to Easter, but for me there's six movies, and I feel like I'll say this: there's problems with all six of them. Some more than some more so than others. I also believe that the other three, as much as I love them, and personally I give them four out of fours. But critically, I'm much more harsher. But I, but I get, I get why people love them. But sometimes they wear rose-colored glasses when it comes to the other three. And some of the problems that they have with the, with the later three that came out in chronological and uh, and um, yeah, chronological order, they are they are there in the original three. But I would say that because of the three that came later, that there's so much texture that are added to those older three movies that I think people aren't picking up yet because they're so stuck on this thing of what they want them to be rather than looking at them for what they are. I'll say that. Yeah. I also think The Force Awakens has a lot to answer for. (laughs) And I think that's going to bury the prequels like deep, deep, deep underground for people like us and very few others. Even, Even like... You know, we won't get into this too deep, but I've listened to quite a few Star Wars podcasts, and even those guys, even the proper proper Star Wars nerds, like the real ones, you know, they um they're still disparaging of the of the prequels, right? And it's kind of it's just really funny. I don't get it. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I really, I almost want, see you got me wanting to dive into this right now, man. <laughs> no, listen, we've got to hold fire. We've got to go. Go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we're just sort of giving a little hint to yeah. this, but you know, we, we don't want to go on too long. Yeah. But um, in terms of wrapping up Public Enemy, I think it's been great. And and personally, I'd like to say thank you to 
to Rochard for actually opening my ears and making me listen and hear Public Enemy and their message because I think it's perfect for this podcast. And, uh, and you know, two of his favorite albums of all time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, th- I think it's been awesome. And put it this way, there's no way on earth we could talk about these albums for so long if they weren't amazing. No, you know? not at all. No. Our attention spans don't stretch that far. <laughs> gotcha. So on that note, I think what we'll do is we'll, uh, we'll wrap this up and uh, we'll say peace from Jessel and... Peace out from me. Da, 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 da. <laughs>